Well, good morning, Celebration Church. You look amazing. Yes, why don't you have a seat? Good to see you. My name is Mary Capper, as Pastor Joe said. And uh, look, my, ma- my accent probably is a little messed up, some people tell me. I uh, was actually born in Arkansas, raised in Mississippi, and have lived in Sydney, Australia for the last 18 years, and now live in Texas. So if you can't figure it out, neither can I, just go with it. (laughs) Uh, But to all of you online and at our correctional facilities, good morning. Uh, We are so blessed to be in such an incredible healthy house and a house that is actually still meeting despite people not coming together. And I just wanna say thank you to the church. Thank you to those who are online. Thank you to Pastor Joe and Pastor Lori who actually made a decision for the church to come together and meet. Because in Sydney, my husband and I were jobless. We had six months of just like, okay, God, what's next on the agenda? We have no idea what you're doing. And we tuned in online watching all of you guys, worshiping with you. And it made such a difference to our growth, our development, and really our encouragement of spirit. So I just wanna say thank you. Can you just give yourself a round of applause? Give Pastor Joe and Lori a round of applause because it's a great blessing. Uh, A photo of my husband and I, this is on our rooftop when we lived in Sydney, Australia. If you look over Matt's right shoulder, you can see the Sydney Opera House. It was a pretty depressing place to live. Um, maybe not so much, but my husband, he's a drummer. You might've seen him this morning, even banging up there. Uh, our neighbors love it. And, uh, <laughs> and I actually learned to sail. So I, I love sailing. Um, again, a really depressing shot. I know I apologize, but you know, Matt and I, um, we have spent a lot of time in Sydney and we've had a lot of life. I'm 41. I know I don't look it. And um, we've been married about 17 years come January. I know, right? It's pretty great. But on that journey of life, there's a lot that really does shape your perspective in life. There's a lot that shapes the words that come out of your mouth. There's a lot that shapes your attitude in life. And for us, you know, it was family, it was culture, it was friends. And I think when we get to this point in life, no matter what we're going through, there is something that people see as a deposit on your life based on the words that are coming out of your mouth. You know, uh, we had a coach in our world, a mentor, and he would say to us, everybody brings joy to a room. You either bring joy when you come into the room, or you bring joy when you go out of it. And I guess the question is, what what kind of person are you? What are you known for? Are you a joy bringer? Are you a Debbie Downer? (laughs) You know, are you a negative Nancy? Are you a positive Paul? (laughs) What is the confession of your life? And I don't mean, when I say confession, I don't mean going into a communal place and declaring all your sins. I mean like, what's the confession of your mouth? Is it positive? Is it godly? Is it faith-filled? Or is it just, man, life's been hard and I can't do it anymore. It's too tough. You know, life will shape your confession, but there are other things that can shape your confession. This morning, I wanna actually look with you at five things that shape our confession. And I wanna show you how I've had to learn how to shape my confession. 
And I hope that by the end of this, you will have an option, you will have a choice on the kind of confession you wanna walk out of here with today, amen? Let me pray for us. Father, speak, amen. Nothing like a good short prayer, right? (laughs) There is in cognitive research, there's this theory called the illusory truth effect. Can you say that, the illusory truth effect? This research has found that when you see a statement, whether it's true or false, and you see it over and over and over again, and you repeat it over and over and over again, there is an aspect of your brain that begins to believe it's true. It's called the illusory truth effect. And repetition, it's crazy, but it can amplify the believability of claims that you say over yourself, that you speak out of the word of God. And I gotta tell you, it reminded me about this ad um, that has been kind of a statement of truth that culturally has just become loud. In 1988, there was an ad that came out and it was about this man and he was jogging. He was 80 years old. And he's jogging across the San Francisco Bay Bridge and he's looking at the camera and he's like, I run 17 miles every day. An 80 year old, anybody 80 years old in here? Okay, no, all right. Anyone run 17 miles every day in here? Also no. So he's running and he says, people ask me how I keep my teeth from chattering in the winter time. I put them in my locker. (laughs) And then this big ad comes up on the screens of the commercial, just do it. Everybody knows this phrase, just do it. It was in 1988, it first appeared on a commercial ad and it is still today, decades later, we all know the brand to which that exists. And as people begin to confess it, Nike saw that actually people begin to believe that they too could enjoy themselves exercising. I know it's crazy, but they begin to believe it. And some even thought that they could become world-class athletes. If that works in a marketing ad, how much more so could it work for the word of God in our life? And the crazy thing is that the first thing that often does shape our confession is culture. Nike is a part of our culture. (laughs) And there are cultural things that we say and there are cultural things that we do. I lived in Australia and a massive cultural statement in Australia was no worries, mate. No worries, mate. No worries. I forgot to pay you that $20 I owe. No worries, mate. Oh my gosh, I, um, I borrowed that backpack, I took it to the beach, I left it on the sand, I don't know where it is, no worries, mate. You know, it was just easy, breezy culture. Another cultural aspect was the tall poppy syndrome. And in Australia, basically anyone who made it in a successful position was criticized because society didn't believe that they deserved it. And so they would rip down 
anyone, church leaders, public figures, politicians, the Australian culture just rips down anyone who's made it to the top because they don't believe that they've made it. And if we're not careful, culture will dictate our behavior. It will dictate what we say, how we believe, what we do. And in Romans 12, verses one to two in the message version, it says, here's what I want you to do. God helping you, thank the Lord. Take your ordinary life, place it before God as an offering. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Imagine if we fixed our attention on God and not the latest headline. So if this illusory truth effect says that what we repeat, we begin to believe, I want you to repeat after me. I'm going to fix my attention on God to learn how to live. The second thing that shapes our confession is family. For some people in this room, that is a very positive word. For other people, it's a very negative word. The fact is no family is perfect, (laughs) to tell you the truth. If you think you're perfect, well, bless you. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that God didn't design family to do something great. You know, family was an original design by God. It was designed for purity. It was designed for older men to pass on to younger men the ways to live. It was designed for older women to pass down to younger women the ways to live. We were not designed to be a modern family. We were designed to be a Christ-honoring family, both in our blood and in our body. We were designed to be men and women, fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, who would learn the ways of the word, not the way of the world. And this is crazy because God intended it to be that way. That's why the enemy works so hard to get us away from family. He pulls us away. He beckons us with culture. He beckons us and entices us with things that are not meant to be. Ephesians 1, 3 to 5 says, Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole by his holy love. Long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. You know, maybe in this place this morning, you're feeling something a little like woozy. (laughs) You're like, are they releasing something into the air in here? Because I feel a little like buzzy. Can I tell you, that's the Holy Spirit. And he moves and he is active and he is drawing the hearts of men to the Father. And in this place today, you're going to have an opportunity to make a confession to make him your father. So repeat after me. I was designed to be part of the family of God. Another thing that shapes our culture are the friends around us and the coworkers we work with. I will never forget (laughs) growing up with my grandmothers, both of them musicians, one played the organ in First Baptist Church Magnolia for 50 years. Her name was Elizabeth. 
The other played the piano at First Baptist Church in Madison, Mississippi for 50 years. Her name was Mary Jo. My name is Mary Elizabeth. There you go. My dad played trumpet. My mom played the piano. My other mom played the guitar. <clears throat> I grew up in a very musical family. My husband plays the drums. Some debate whether that's musical or not. No, I'm just kidding. It's very musical. But I loved singing. I loved when the radio came on, I would just jam with it. And one day I was in the car and there were two people in the car with us. <clears throat> and I don't know, it was something like, I get lost in your eyes. I don't know if you remember that. That was Debbie Gibson, lost in your eyes. I was a child of the 80s. Can't apologize for that. Uh, maybe it was New Kids on the Block. I don't know. Maybe it was something like, well, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. I don't know. It, it was something that I was urging and excited about singing to. And the two voices from the back seat said, what do you think you're doing? You're messing it up. <laughs> I think I'm making it better. What are you talking about? You're messing it up. You can't, do you think you can sing? Just stop it. Just stop it because the radio does better than you. And it came from a spirit that was not joking. It came from a spirit that was quite stabbing, kind of hurt to hear them say that. I also remember a time when I was studying at Bible college and there was a man of God who came and I put in quotations because his life and his fruit afterwards showed how godly he was not. And he spoke words over me where he said, there's a relationship you're pursuing in life. You need to stop it. You need to turn your back on that. You need to walk away from it. And then he proceeded to tell some other words to people in the room that were just, it just, it felt weird. Sometimes you just know it feels weird. And the Bible says to test the word that comes from man's mouth. I'm not always going to place my confidence in what you say to me that you think is the word of God. I'm going to go to the word of God to speak faith and life to me. But you know what? When he spoke that to me, I was pursuing a relationship at that time in my life. And I started having nightmares like nightmares about this person, nightmares about situations, like it really affected me to the core. And those words that those two girls in the back seat of that car spoke over me and the words that that man spoke over me started to really shape my self-talk. Started to make me really doubt, well, can I sing? I mean, I thought I could sing. I, I love singing. I love worshiping. I love singing in the musicals at high school. I was in high school music. No, I wasn't. Um, you know, I loved, I loved actually, I, I really loved the opportunity of pursuing what I thought was a godly relationship. This guy loved God. I love God. He was in church. I was in church. Like, what's going, what's going on? I even started having these moments in my mind growing up thinking, Coming from Mississippi, I'm a woman from the South. I'll never be entrusted with an opportunity to lead in ministry. You know, the things that go through your head, I'm not blank enough. I'm still locked in prison. I, God will never use that. I, I don't serve on the dream team because they don't know what I've done. I've got secrets. If anybody ever found out, they'd never love me. They'd never trust me. They'd never. I'd never, I don't belong here. 
All this stuff that goes through our head, can I tell you, God didn't put that there. That is not from God. And often we listen to these words over and over and over and over and over again. And going back to that illusory truth effect, we start believing it. Doesn't matter that it's not true. We start believing it because we're repeating it over and over. It's kind of like when you see that sign, wet paint don't touch. You know, like you see it, and what does it make you want to do? <laughs> the same thing that that person who put their fingers on it <laughs> did. You start touching what you focus on. You start hitting it. It's like the pothole on I-35. Don't hit it. Don't hit it. Don't. Oh, man. <laughs> you hit what you focus on. So what might happen if we didn't focus on the things that weren't of God? What might happen if we didn't focus on culture telling us how to live? What would happen if we didn't focus on TV shows dictating what love is? What would happen if we didn't focus on the negative words family have spoken over our life? What would happen if we didn't focus on the bullies at school and what they tell us we're not? What would happen if we began to focus on the word of God and followed the pattern of his word and not mine? I don't know, let's give it a go. That's an Australian thing, I think. Give it a go, you may. Okay. In Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, let's start with this one. It says, let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let's just start with that. Let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope. What if the confession was not what was going on in my mind, but the confession was of what I hoped for? Man, God, I'm gonna hold on to the fact that you have called me, you have chosen me, you died for me, you made a way for me to be in relationship with you. I believe, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose again. I believe that you made a way for me even when it didn't look like there was any way. I believe, I'm gonna hold to that confession of hope. Man, can you imagine what your self-talk would look like after that? You don't even have time to think about yourself because you're focusing on the confession of your hope. It goes on to say in verse 24, and let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds. Imagine if I didn't focus on, well, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms. But you thought, how can I love someone else? How can I encourage someone else? How can, get, how can I give life to someone else? Because you know it is better to give than receive. There's something really special when you've put a lot of thought into a gift, you've put a lot of thought into a card, you've put a lot of thought into how you can make time for someone in your life, it fuels you. But when you just think about what you haven't gotten out of life and what people haven't done for you, it deflates you and makes you negative and bitter and twisted. And you start looking at people through a different lens than when you look at them through the word of God. So what might it look like to encourage one another, to love one another? What does love? What does love look like? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt, anyway, okay. That's Night at the Roxbury, long time, don't recommend it. Anyway, um, but you know, we, many in this room have probably had 1 Corinthians 13 read at your wedding. 
and you had it read, but you haven't lived it. Because love is patient, and you get ticked off when you get on I-35 and no one wants to let you in, and it's a, you know, I don't know. I was scared to get on I-35 when I first moved here. Love is kind. It means you make a way for people. It means when the person at Trader Joe's or HEB isn't going at your time frame, you don't get ticked off at them. They're not even getting minimum wage. Maybe they are. I mean, that's legal. You have to get minimum wage. But you know what I'm saying? Like people, people got stuff going on in their lives. And we are meant to show them the love of Christ, but we can't, we just get upset when they didn't do something the way that we wanted it. It's like, wait a second. Am I going to be a me follower or a Christ follower? Am I going to be a culture follower or a Christ follower? What am I allowing to shape my life? Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. Actually, I'm going to go straight to verse 35. It says, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what was promised. It goes on in 38 to say, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, he or she, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not among those who shrink back to destruction. But we are of those who have faith for the safekeeping of the soul. In other words, don't let your self-talk be insecure. Throw away that insecurity and pick up your confidence. Pick up your hope in the word. It says if we don't shrink back, we will please him. So when you feel culture pressing in on you, when you feel family pressing in on you, don't let it push you back. No, rise up. Take up the word of God. Let it be a sword. Let it be a shield. Let it slay your situations. Start confessing the word of God. Repeat after me. I will hold fast to my confidence. I will not shrink back. I will live by faith. The last thing that shapes our confession and probably the one you need to lean into. This is the one that matters. And if you haven't caught it already, it is the word of God. The word of God can shape our confession. I do not want to be a woman who is shaped by the culture of our nation, of our world, because our culture is not Christ-like. I do not wanna be a woman who's even shaped by what my family has spoken over me because although I have grown up in a great family, many have not. And they have not had great things spoken over them and they've not had great things happen to them. So I will not put my hope in what my family says or does for me. I'm gonna put my hope in the word. My family, my coworkers, my friends, some of us have really great friends, friends for life, friends who think about us when we have a baby, friends who think about us when we're going through the tough times. But some of us don't. We've got friends, but that you don't remember the last time they said, hey, how are you going? You know, what if you were that kind of friend, the encouraging one another, the love one another? Either way, the word of God. Romans 15, four says, for whatever was written in former days, was written for our instruction, that through endurance 
and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Maybe you don't have hope today. Maybe it's hope deferred makes the heart weary. And maybe you've hoped for so long that it's just, it's not happened, you've lost it. This says, Romans 15 says, that the words in this page is to give us instruction on how to live so that we can endure, even when we haven't seen the things that we hope for. Hebrews 4.12 says that this word is living and active. It's sharper than any sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit. Here's the thing. The word of God shapes our confession because it's alive. It's active. It's doing something. But you know, it's not really going to do something unless you bring it forth, unless you confess it, unless you say it. Isaiah 55 says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven. Gosh, I wish we could see rain in Texas right now. Jesus, bring the rain, bring it. (laughs) For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but they water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return empty. This is like rain, y'all. It's like snow. It falls on people and it produces sprouts. It produces growth. It produces life. Often where there's no life, there's no word. Often where there's death in situations, the word has been lacking. I want to encourage you to let the word come out of your mouth. Let it be a confession from your mouth. As the team come up, the worship team come up, I want to give you some scriptures and confession. I want to show you that this isn't just for a pastor, a person with a microphone to do. This is for every Tom, Dick, and Harry that's on the ground day in and day out to do. This is for every single person to do, is to confess the word of God in a room, in a cell, online, in a living room. This is for every single person. Some things that I have learned to confess in life because of what I was going through brought seed to the sower. So I'm going to introduce the title of my message right here at the end. Say, pray, and repeat. That's the title. Say, pray, repeat. Why don't you say it with me? Say, pray, repeat. Because what we repeat we're gonna believe. It's gonna shape a belief system in us. Let's look at this first one. It says, Psalm 34 in verse 18, it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit with two periods. That's my fault, sorry about that. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. How do I put that in my mouth? Well, for me, it became a part of my prayer. I started praying scripture. Father, I know that you're close to me when I'm brokenhearted. 
that you will save me from this. Whatever this was, we all have a different this. I don't know when, but I know that you will. Imagine if you read a verse a day and you didn't become legalistic about reading five or six chapters a day and you never remember it. What if you focused on one verse today and you confessed it in your prayer life? You would say the scripture, you would pray it, and you would repeat it throughout the day. Let's look at the next one. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Why don't we say that together? He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. And then I would pray, the one who calls me is faithful. Lord, I know you will surely do all that you have promised. We sang an incredible song earlier. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been good, so, so good. You know what we're doing? We're repeating the Word of God. As we sing it, we're repeating it and it becomes believable to us and our soul begins to trust in the Word of the Lord our God. Isaiah 26, three, read it with me. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We say it and then we pray it. I believe that as I trust you and I keep my mind on you, you will give me perfect peace. The world is tormented in spirit world is tormented in mind, but that scripture says, you will keep me in perfect peace as I stay my mind on you. One last one, Psalm 30 verse two says, oh Lord, my God, why don't you say it with me? Oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. Lord, my God, I'm crying to you for help and I believe you will heal me. Imagine if daily you would say the scripture, you would make it your prayer and in that day, you would repeat it. Say, pray, repeat. Say, pray, repeat. Say, pray, repeat. You know, I don't know. I go back to that story about the two girls in the car who told me I couldn't sing I was messing up the radio, I was messing up the songs. Luckily for me, I, I had people in my life that were encouraging me, speak life into me. Luckily for me, I, I was saved at an age of eight years old and I felt the presence of God with me all the days of my life, even till today. And I became a member of an honor choir in high school. and. And I then began to become um, the student worship pastor at a church where I worked when I was in college. As I was in college, I was pursuing a vocal music major and I went on to study in Sydney, Australia where they asked me to become the worship stream head trainer. And then while I was in Sydney, I joined the Philharmonia choirs and sang on the opera house stage. <laughs> what? You can't sing. 
You can't do this, you can't do that. I go back to the other story of the words from the man of God who said, don't pursue that relationship. And I sought wisdom from God and I sought wisdom from His word. And I'm like, Lord, is this from you? Is this true? And I'm so glad I did because I continued pursuing that relationship. And now I'm married to a man 17 years later where we both serve on staff here at Celebration Church. He's playing the drums. I'm standing here preaching. And I'm so thankful I didn't listen to man to shape my life. I listened to the Word of God. And here's the thing, beyond cleansing us from sin, (laughs) which is the ultimate reason why Jesus came to this earth, Maybe it was more than just that because he lived with a family and he experienced the complexities of family and showed us that we can still be about the father's business even when our family doesn't agree, even when they don't understand. Jesus Christ was immersed within Jewish culture and he showed us that it is possible to be in the world, but not of it. Jesus Christ lived alongside his friends, his family, his co-workers, and they despised him. They rejected him. They crucified him. Even to his last breath, he exemplified how to possess a heart for humanity. He wrestled even so with his own flesh in the garden. He wrestled with it. He didn't wanna die on the cross, but he knew it was his father's plan demonstrating that although we battle with our flesh, we can endure on this earth by embracing, not my will, but yours be done. You see, your words may not change your circumstances, but they will change your perspective. When everything may be crumbling around you, Your confession will locate what you believe. And what you believe in your heart will dictate your confession and your actions in life. So now you get the opportunity to make a bold confession. Perhaps today you recognize that maybe culture has shaped the way that you think about things. Perhaps today You recognize that you are just the fruit of your family and the things that they have spoken over you, whether good or bad. Maybe even today you're in here and you're like, you know what? I have listened to my coworkers bag me out. I've listened to my, the people in my life put me down for too long. I'm ready to make a different confession today. I'm ready to trust in something different today. If that is you in this room and you are ready to change your confession to the Word of God and not to what culture says about you, not what family says about you, not what friends and family and coworkers say about you. If you are ready for your confession today to say, pray and repeat the Word, why don't you stand in this room today? I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray that you will have the boldness, that you'll have the courage, that you will have the heart to persevere, to let the words of God shape the confession in your life. 
As a sign of surrender to God, why don't you just hold out your hands? Father, today I thank you for every single person who has chosen to stand, whether in the room or online or in the prisons. Father, I thank you that they choose today to say, pray, and repeat the Word of God in their life. I pray, Father, that as we become men and women who say the Word, Father, it will go out to accomplish great things in the lives of those around us and even within us. Amen. 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 But perhaps today as well, you recognize that there is another kind of confession that you need to make. And I'd ask you not to leave yet, because this is one of the most important pieces of our service. There are people in this room that you have not yet confessed Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life. It's humbling to do that. Because the second you do that, it choo- you choose to turn your back on sin and pursue a godly lifestyle. It's a commitment to abandon your life to Him and to turn your back on everything else. And I wanna challenge you, if you are in this room today and you feel the Holy Spirit stirring your heart to make a surrender to Jesus Christ, this moment is about to be for you. You're gonna make a confession through a prayer with all of us. We're gonna say it together. And you're gonna surrender your life in acknowledgement of the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you're gonna turn your back on sin and you're gonna pursue a life surrendered to Him. So in this place, why don't we close our eyes, bow our heads, and if that's you in this room, why don't you lift your hand? I wanna pray for you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that. Thank you. This isn't about me. It's not about the person next to you. This is about you surrendering your life to Jesus Christ in this place. Praise you, Jesus. We wanna support you and we want to pray with you. So everyone in this room from the front to the back, even in the living rooms and the jails, why don't you pray with me? Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you are the one true God. Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you were crucified, buried and raised from the dead so that I could be cleansed from my sins and made right with you. I surrender my will to yours today. I turn my back on sin and embrace my new life of freedom with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen.